welcome back to the Brace Yourselves podcast. As you can hear, I am much more elated this week than previously. I will start by saying apologies that we didn't do an international interlude like we planned. Unfortunately, I was feeling a bit under the weather, so it just couldn't go ahead. I'm very sorry, Ian, because I know you put a lot of uh, hard uh, work into that, which didn't get to get actioned. I like that you think a lot of hard work went into it. It took me about five minutes. But obviously, when we <laughs> presented the people, this took a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we're not just thinking up this stuff on the fly. We, you know, we think about it all week and we try and come up with stuff. You know, now next international break comes up, we've been working on this idea for months. Mm-hmm, so it's exactly. semi-decent. It's like money in the bank, right? Just gathers interest. The, the oh. ideas become more pure, more worthwhile. Yeah, it's going to be a better episode. I just kind of want to keep the bar low. Let's not sell ourselves in high. Mm-hmm. So, in the two weeks that we've been gone, there's been some crazy football. It, yeah, but relatively back to normal football after the sort of international break. Like, these are scorelines you kind of expected. I don't think anyone expected two, three, three capitulations in the Premier League. Yeah, we might have... Like the four fives, the seven ones. Yeah, well, I suppose. But I think, I think two, three, threes in the same weekend is, is pretty ludicrous in terms of it being top, top six clubs that uh, have capitulated in the lo- both in a very similar fashions. Fear Walcott or Jan Bastegaard, depending on who you, who you think got the last touch scoring in the plus 90 minutes and obviously Lanzini scoring in the plus 90 minutes. So I think just that that's why I've written there in, in our talking points three, it's a magic number. It's just outrageous. How many three threes have we seen this season already? I know that's, I think that's the crazy thing. And that's maybe why I'm saying it's back to normal. Cause we had a couple of one nils. We had a couple of like dead games. We're well, not dead. Mm, yeah, I suppose. Typical kind of football fair, but yeah, I do agree. The, the, Three threes is, yeah, that's a bit mad. But like I say, it's not, it's not the crazy goals, and especially after the international break, because there were some crazy scores in that. Yeah, listen, you can cling on to that crazy scoreline all you want, mate. Your team fucked it up, and I will not let you forget it this episode. I wasn't focusing on that set. <laughs> I wasn't, I'm not hammering on about You see set. these hands, come catch them, come catch them, boy. Right, okay, uh, let's not start there, though. I think, obviously, the most contentious game that needs to be analysed and talked about is obviously the Everton-Liverpool game just as I've written Everton and Liverpool because VAR was a joke in this game so obviously the first thing that needs to be sort of discussed is Liverpool bounced back the way they should have uh, they yep. got, immediately got off uh, a goal. They were showing great attacking intent and pressing. Then, obviously, the Jordan Pickford Virgil Van Dijk incident happened. Now, I've been watching a lot of you know, videos, reactions, been on Twitter a lot. A lot of people were very angry. People, in particular, being Liverpool fans, about the yep. fact that Jordan Pickford stayed on the pitch effectively. It's a difficult one for me because. I understand the logic behind it, and I also understand the rules of football, at least whatever convolutedly want to push out towards us in terms of what are the rules of football. Yeah. The, the, the way it works is right, is obviously they, they had a free kick, they played the ball in, but there was a player offside in the box, in the Liverpool box. And after the point, after the point of offside, Jordan Pickford then put in, yes, a very dangerous tackle, in my opinion, but I 
you like with the law you can't prove intent right so you can't say well pickford was trying to hurt van dyke he was probably feeling tremendous pressure due to how terrible he was on england duty how terrible he's been and the only weak link in the the chain of the everton team since uh, the start of the premier league season so he was probably like we cannot concede another one early doors that's all it probably was because if 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 Van Dijk had got that ball, laid it across the box. It would have gone in, probably. And then it's 2-0, and then Everton have got a mountain to climb. I think part of the issue lies in the fact, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the, the ref doesn't blow on that incident. Because like, the rule of play is let an offside play until you know, it's clear that it's offside. But the ref didn't blow on Pickford's challenge. He blew because it went off, the ball went off the pitch. Yeah, see, there seems to be a lot of confusion, especially amongst match officials as well, about what is actually the letter of the law when it comes to, you know, what becomes discounted. Because people are saying, should it be viewed as two separate incidents? So, for example, an, an offside incident and then violent conduct, rather than this connective tissue, which obviously I assume the officials have viewed it as, which is anything after the point of offside is basically none and void. I don't know. It's a tough one. Would I have sent him off for that challenge? Objectively, on an isolated instant, 100% I would have sent him off. Yeah. Right? Would I have done it if they were offside? I don't know. If it's offside, you know, I like, for example, when you play FIFA, right? And I know it's only a video game listener, so don't, don't put much credence in this, but effectively, I always hack someone down when the final whistle goes or just as the final whistle goes. Look, if he'd gone and punched Van Dyke after the whistle was blown, fine. I'd have sent him off. But because he actually is trying to engage in the act of football, as in he's trying to get the ball, he's trying to challenge for the ball, and it is in the context of the game, I think then it can be discounted after the offside is called. I think we often see an added level of aggression when players believe something's previously happened. Like if there's an offside or a free free kick has been called, you normally see a player going a lot harder on someone mm, mm. because there's this aggression of like, give me the ball. Like we're going to play the game. Um, I think Pickford, you know, not to make it easier for him, but I think that's part of it. And like everything you've said about the pressure on him, there, there was a lot going on, but I do. Yeah. I totally like say they played it, say the offside encountered or whatever. Like they still didn't blow for that incident. And I think that's the issue. Is yeah. No, and when it came to the VAR, the VAR purely looked at the offside. It didn't look at that incident. Yeah. But then again, I'd, I've, I've seen a lot of people lashing out saying, oh, this is VAR's fault, VAR's ruining football. But as I've said for the last five episodes, and will continue to say probably for the rest of the Premier League season, and however many episodes we do, it's not VAR. VAR is a tool. You don't blame a hammer if someone beats you to death with a hammer. Whoever's using the hammer is responsible. These match officials, not, o- not only is one of them getting it wrong, but up to four of them are getting it wrong collectively at a time. And that's where the real issue stems from. Because the misuse of this tool is what is the issue. Hawkeye works fine. Yes, rugby's version, whatever you want to call it, I don't, I don't, under- I don't know what it's officially called, but effectively occasionally gets a decision questionably wrong but other than that it's pretty much unilaterally accepted because people respect the officials in rugby the problem here lies with is var by its existence causing match officials to become complacent and lazy and allowing it to referee for them or are they simply misusing the tool to continue to make horrendous egregious decisions and 
using it as a scapegoat to go, well, listen, VAR was implemented. This is what you all wanted. I don't know, but see, I just still think there's such a complacency towards players' um, health and like injuries on the pitch. Because this weekend alone, we saw two other questionable instances. There was the two-footed challenge in the, uh, in the Brighton game, which was right at the blow of the whistle again, and nothing really happened about it. And then we had the high foot in the Man City game. I think it was in the Man City game. I would have given a penalty for that high foot, but... But again, it's, you know, the player, like, the player, the ball is between the two players, and I think that's where they're looking at it. There's no connection. I just don't think there's player safety is ever considered, really. Mm. It's more about what is happening in terms of the technical. I think maybe that is where that reliance on VAR comes from. We're, We're so focused on the technical, and especially with these new rules of how offside is working and how handball is working and everything. I think a lot of officials are wrapped up in that and they're worried about getting that side of things wrong. But I mean, I've said this since episode one and I'm going to continue to say it, but player safety should be the first thing. It shouldn't be whether they're offside. It shouldn't be whether, oh, that goes against this rule. It should be, have they made an aggressive attack on another player that endangers their well-being? Hmm. So you're effectively saying you think Pickford should have been sent off for the challenge, effectively? Yeah, or it needs to be reviewed by the FA afterwards. I've seen these claims from Liverpool fans that they want, because obviously at the moment we're still waiting to hear, but Van Dijk could be injured for up to eight months, they're saying, from the challenge, because he's had that surgery on his knee. I've heard these outlandish claims from Liverpool fans that they want Pickford to be banned for that length of time. I'm sorry, Liverpool fans, you're not a special case. Many players have been injured. I I remember Aaron Ramsey got his leg broken by Ryan Shawcross when he played for Stoke and he played again the next week. Oh, well, he played after his ban ban was suspended. Bad tackles happen. Van Dijk committed a horrendous one against a Napoli player two seasons ago in the Champions League, but you were all okay with it then. These things happen. Yes, he is integral to your probably championship run which a lot of people will now be asking are Liverpool going to win the league because of how much of an anchor he is at the back but let's just see how it plays out this season's all over the shop we don't know what's going to happen the game the rest of the game is an interesting one I thought I think Everton were very much in it I think Everton proved why they're sort of sitting towards the top end of the league this season. We've seen that from them seasons ago. And I think that was their big challenge is their derby game, having to come up against their top rivals and league winners and sort of holding their own. I mean, to bounce back as well shows that Everton was still trying to command the game. I just don't think they did enough overall in the game to secure a win. And I think the, the draw was kind of, well, the the only the only really horrendous miss from Everton was when Richarlison should have headed it in, and he headed it at the leg of Adrian. I was like, "What?" But other than that, listen, I always felt it was going to be a draw. I've always said this: the yeah. Merseyside derby is the great equaliser, the great nullifier. It is either a draw or a Liverpool win, and it was very close to being a Liverpool win. the The only other talking points from that game, I think, well, there's three. Right there is obviously. Pickford's goalkeeping in general, especially on the third goal, which I obviously know has been disallowed, but he's supposed to be England's number one. And then we compare that to what Pope was doing. I know. You don't have to tell me, mate. I was like, how have you not saved that, Pickford? Yeah. And my nan could have saved that. You know, that, that's one of those things on, on, like a, on FIFA, essentially, when you save it and it loops back over and goes in and you're like, are you bloody kidding me? 
honestly, I think if they had a stronger second keeper, they probably would have played him, but they just don't. That's the reality. There were rumours they were going to try and buy Sergio Romero off us. That probably would have been a, would have been a good buy, in my opinion. Look, some, some goals you can't save. Look at um, Sadio Mane's first goal for Liverpool. It's unsavable. Even yeah, Salah's second as well. Not yeah. Oh, well, I would say the second is unsavable, but I would say it was very unavoidable. And it's exactly what I said. Everton's weakness lies in their defensive line. Yeri Mina sets Salah up. Yeah, but we've been saying defensively, every team has been lacking. I think this this weekend in particular was the weekend of goalkeepers. Like they just like look, defense aren't doing anything, and they, there were some outrageous saves from De Gea's to Pope and Ken uh, Darlow for Newcastle before his injury. Wow, like nearly ruined my weekend. Thankfully, didn't. Yeah, listen, it it was an exciting game. It was probably the most dramatic game, but not necessarily the most entertaining game. Richarlison's challenge was awful. Yeah. Really, really bad. And again, shows the temperament issue that Richarlison has. Dangerous. That I think that one was more dangerous than the Pickford challenge because he could have broken Thiago's leg on that. Yeah. You know, Pickford, yeah, it turned into an unintentional scissor kick that, hurt the guy's knee, fine. But he didn't go straight on to Bohm with his studs up like Richarlison did. That is nasty. Really late. But those the Derby games are always given a leniency. And we, again, we saw it in the Brighton Crystal Palace game because they expect the roughness, but you can't put the leniency there. And that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, safety comes first in these players. But surely the lenience is actually like an all-encompassing thing where it's trying to protect the fans as well who are supposed to be in the stadiums in this in yeah. this normal template of football, right? So, for example, if City play United and someone gets sent off, maybe indirectly there's a butterfly effect which causes a, a fight outside the stadium or whatever it may be or amps up the general atmosphere, right? But at the moment, if anything, match officials should be able to go, well, do you know what? I can give a red card to an Everton player at Goodison Park if I want because there's no fans for me to consider. There's no, there's no de- endangerment for me to consider later down the line. So, I expect and most people do anyway for top-notch officiating, but particularly in a non-fan environment, I expect it to be done appropriately and objectively and not, not like, oh, well, I can't, you know. Like, for example, look at England when we played Colombia, right? Lots of questions were like, you should be sending Colombian players off for this. But because of the historical ramifications of a, of a Colombian being sent off and then being killed later by a Colombian crime law because of it, there's always that sort of like inherent fear of, I don't want to be the cause for this, that, and the other. At the moment, there's no fans in the stadiums. If anything, you have, there's no pressure on you to make a a good or bad decision. You should just be making the right decision. Yeah, I totally agree. And then obviously the offside. Yes. Uh, Listen, I can't see that uh, as offside. I've looked at it many times. I was speaking to my partner's family on the weekend. They were Chelsea fans, right? Uh, So they didn't have a very good weekend, but I did. However, when we were discussing VAR, I said, don't you think it would be better instead of this, we're checking every red card, we're checking every offside, we're checking every uh, goal, whatever it may be. If we had like a three strike system in a sense of, or a three challenge system where the manager goes... They're like Hawkeye, you know. Hawkeye go right. I want to challenge that. Andy Murray goes. I want to challenge that. Cool. If he's right, he gets the he gets the challenge back. If he's wrong, he loses the try. Because, you know, we've got this case where 
now every time a goal goes in, something goes in the box, you've got players going, making squares with their fingers, going VAR. Take the players out of the equation, just go, the manager has a flag, they raise it, they say, we just want to check that by VAR because we think it's offside. We just yeah. want to check that by VAR because it's a red card. That relies on on-pitch decisions being made, and there wasn't one on that. No, no, of course, but at least then the onus you can show, you can appease your fans by saying, listen, we tried to uh, contest the decision because Liverpool are trying to get the FA to overturn the offside. No, they're not going to do that. Do you know why? Because if they overturn your decision, they set a precedent and then they have to overturn every decision. You think you're the biggest country in the you know, biggest club in the country. Yeah, but Liverpool were happy to benefit off dodgy VAR decisions last season, but as soon as it affects them... Mm, cry me a river no we all feel the ebb and flow of it we all have to take our turn loving it marmiting it whatever it may be you love it or you hate it sometimes var benefits you like it did last night for united in the champions league and other times it kills you like it does against palace when we had a penalty retaken and they scored it all comes around goes around sorry you have to take you have to take it as it comes and the 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 bottom line is the officials make the decision the 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 mechanism doesn't. Yeah, I just, I think like you were saying earlier, just the power needs to be given, well, not the power, but the confidence given back to the refs to make those on-pitch decisions rather than relying on the VAR, which will allow for maybe, you know, challenger play rules or let's review it. And then there's a reason to review it rather than it just being, oh, wait, let's just check if any of what we've done is right or wrong. Yeah, look, I agree. And I think until the main match officiator takes the onus and goes right my decision is what I expect to be the creme de la creme in this match they inserted that clear and obvious contingency in to stop match officials decisions being questioned all the time that they'd only correct decision if it was clear and obvious error made by the official but doesn't it seem like there's a clear and obvious error made nearly every game from a match official now and doesn't that systemically tell us that these guys either need to be trained better backed more or believe in themselves a little bit more you know the onus does fall on your shoulders you're you've been a referee for 20 years right the game evolves i've seen a lot of people saying oh var ruins football var takes the excitement away sometimes you do get a jammy win and it's like well no we are supposed to be trying to have correct decisions because, yes, I, I won't say who the person was because they are actually out there on the internet and doing their own thing, but effectively they were a Chelsea fan and they were saying that, you know, that's the ebb and flow of it and sometimes you'd get a dodgy goal against your rivals and, and you'd benefit from it. And I was like, well, no, we're not supposed to be saying it's okay to get be like two metres offside, score a goal and, and clubs be okay with that because... Chelsea scored a goal against Cardiff last season, which pretty much relegated them. And Giroud was about three metres offside, right? Now, you can say, oh, well, it comes around, goes around. But do you know what happens to Cardiff when they get relegated? They lose funding. Their player wages, they can't afford them. It cripples them for about three years if they can even recover. So for top six clubs, yeah, maybe it is an acceptable whatever. But for teams that are actually fighting to stay in the Premier League, it could ruin your entire club. I mean, it's completely true, and that's where we are with it. They just need to, not even finessing, it's just figuring out how to best implement this. And Because this is the issue that everyone has, is about the flow of the game. And everyone's worried about wrecking this flow of the game. But you're just going to rebuild a flow. You know, the flow has been built 
by introducing rules and improving it. You know, a, you know, keeper can't hold the ball for more than six seconds, whatever it is, 10 seconds. All of that stuff improved the flow, improved the speed. Well, look, you used to be able to back pass to keepers and they could pick up their ball. That, that they, they saw it was problematic because what would happen is a team would get one goal and keep passing it back to the keeper and that would nullify the game. So they eliminated the fact that you could hold on to it for more than six seconds. Just, we've got to figure out how, because I think VR is good. I think once we figure out how it is implemented into the game, because like in every other sport, it works well. It's just getting it to work in football. And yes, I think the issue is they've implemented it so late that we're used to such a... Uh, like finite version of the game and the speed of the game that that's why we're taking so much issue with it but I, I think it's needed like you know but it's getting that balance of you know every referee and official believing what their decision they're making is correct uh, be willing to stick their neck out for that decision etc etc because that's what players are doing players are risking their reputations doing these things and you know, the manager is as well every time post-game when they're making their interviews and stuff. You've just got to take accountability for it and use VAR in a way that suits the game. I, I don't really have the answer because I don't know all the intricacies or how it could be implemented perfectly. But we just got to keep using it and we just got to keep failing with it until we figure out how it works best. Yeah, listen, I think, I think there's a couple of quick fix options. Like I said, I think a free strike system or free check system would take some um, pressure off the referees and Stockley Park and would allow uh, culpability to be shared between all, th uh, all two, well, the two clubs and the officiators. I also think referees need to be miked. I just don't know why they're not miked in the Premier League. I understand because players can swear and all that sort of stuff and they don't want to indirectly broadcast that around the stadium and on tv but how many times have you watched sky sports match of the day bt sports since we've gone into the pandemic and if you heard the commentators say oh, we apologize if you heard any swearing there exactly but i mean like why is football the only one that's can't be in that realm because rugby they're mic'd up and you occasionally hear a rugby player swear and to be honest they probably should be swearing a lot more they're getting smacked around a lot harder you know, even but that's just, that stems from a respect issue, right? That's the problem. Yeah, exactly. And this is the thing, and the players should have that respect. And yeah, you know, we look at it as the working class sport, you know, the every man sport, like everyone can be a part of it. And swearing comes sort of hand in hand with that kind of environment. But there should be respect on the pitch. Um, so yeah, I just think, is it a real big reshuffle of how we kind of look at football? Or is it just quick fixes, like you're saying? Maybe, but the FA don't know what they're doing in terms of the rules of football either. Look how, look how they went. Look, this is the new rule of handball. And then about three weeks in, they went, okay, we're slightly altering that. Because unfortunately, football evolves over time. And I would say to anyone who has that antiquated mindset uh, or that traditional, that football's changed and what happened to 4-4-2 and what happened to uh, but trusting the match offic uh, officials and all this sort of stuff. And it's, football evolves. That's why the continental football came to the Premier League. That's why wingbacks were introduced. You know, that's why we're not allowed to pass back to the keeper anymore. The sport has to evolve with the times because otherwise, believe me, think about the fan outrage there would be nowadays if Schmeichel was picking up the ball for Leicester every five minutes and playing it back out of the defence and picking it up again after they scored one goal. That would be absolute chaos. There would be more fights because of it because at the end of the day, it's just, it, it, it's just a more exacerbated version of time-wasting. I mean, this is a bit, look, sport is meant to evolve. And look, we could make any sort of analogy we want here, any sort of metaphor for how we're living right now. But 
evolution of the sport is needed. I mean, a ridiculous example is uh, boxing. So originally in boxing, the idea was just to hit one another until one of you fell down. No one dodged, no one weaved, no one did anything. You just punched one another until someone fell down. What a ridiculous sport. Now there's oh, yeah. tactics, there's, and all of this kind of stuff. And you still see it in sports today when people pull out new tactics and you never expect it. What was it? Um, I think in the Rugby World Cup or in the Six Nations, I think it was either Argentina or Italy refused to scrum. And England didn't know what the hell to do. And they kept asking the ref, is this legal? And the ref's like, look, it is. If you don't understand it, go read the rule book. Look, teams need that. They need to figure out a way. Italy were trash. Or- look, you, you adapt to survive, don't you? Look, speaking about boxing briefly, people don't like, just because people don't like the most exciting form of something doesn't mean it isn't valid. Like, for example... Joshua when he fought Ruiz the second time, right? Because he knew the danger of going into the pocket with Ruiz, he went, right, well, I'm going to box on the outside because this guy's not going to have the cardio for it. And lo and behold, he didn't have the cardio for it. Did it make for an exciting fight? No. Did he win his championship back? Yes. Because at the end of the day, as much as people like to pretend football is here for our entertainment, clubs do have a responsibility to win games in whatever manner that is. For example, Joshua ain't fighting for you. He's fighting for himself. He's fighting for that title. And his own glory like that is what that sport it's a one on that one one sport you know it's for his team that's all he cares about is getting that win and that tax they come up mm. with and football should be yeah we want to see the crazy games yeah we want the drama that's the joy of the sport but you know if you watch a team sit back after scoring one goal and just like absolutely hold their own you still commend it you're bored for 90 minutes or however long it is but you commend it because that is playing the sport to the best of its advantage 100%. Right, I think we've spoken enough about the Liverpool game. Hard luck, Liverpool fans. Good job, Everton fans. I knew it was going to be a beefy piece because so much went on. I think the title race is very much open at the moment. I think, like I said, I think Liverpool had to win to sort of calm any sort of potential contests for the title. And then obviously they haven't done that. So it is uh, the balls now in Liverpool's court to try and course correct. So, this week I get to talk about Man United in a positive light. Yeah, I've been waiting. This shirt feels so light today. It's like light and breezy. It's how, did you, how did you feel when that first goal went in? When the first goal went in, I went, of course. Just, I went, <laughs> you know, well, it is. It was such just a hard... our luck. Oh, yeah. And just, just our luck. Like, summed up how your season was going. If that was the game, you would have just been like, that's it. That's the way the dice are rolled. But I think... I think, one, the international break has been quite important for United. Questions were raised about United in terms of whether the players were playing for Oli, whether he'd lost the dressing room, uh, how much conviction they had, how much fight and want they had. Harry Maguire, we'll briefly speak about on England duty, but he, yeah. he, that's it, he reached breaking point. The red card against Denmark, I was like, I think he's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm not saying he's reformed or his trespasses forgiven or anything like that. However, that goal to equalise, he needed that for his confidence. You know, I think that is going to do wonders for him. There's a couple of, there's like an intended point. I wasn't going to speak about the Champions League, but I think it, it does have a factor on the Newcastle result because a lot of people have been going, it's only Newcastle, don't get too carried away. It's only Newcastle. They didn't really look up, that up for it. United fought for that victory. That's the important thing, right? And yes, it took the 86 minutes to get the capitulation, but we knew if a second goal went in, the capitulation was going to happen. I think 
Ollie's plan that Dean Henderson was going to put pressure on De Gea to perform well has worked. I think last night showed that. I think the Newcastle results showed that. The save he made from Callum Wilson's tap-in, outrageous. He just scoops it, like, just effortlessly. Just, and the fact that he managed to not only get back, scoop it, but scoop it out of the path of any Newcastle attacker was just outrageous. And sometimes it's moments in games like that that really go, right, this is the galvanised moment. De Gea's done what we needed him to do. Let's go and get the win. Now, obviously, the pain of Bruno missing the penalty, one, it's a very good save by Ken Darlo. Very good save. Two, I jinxed it because I said to my partner's parents, I said, Bruno's never missed a penalty for United. I think every commentator said that as well. Right. And then obviously he missed it and we were like, fuck. But what I will say is that United did deserve to win. And and please, haters, don't come at me and say they didn't deserve to win. Newcastle weren't even there. They didn't even score their goal. United scored five goals that day. One of them to give an advantage to bloody Newcastle. Newcastle looked apathetic, lethargic, didn't know what to do, weren't pressing United. Now what was really Bruno's second goal was absolutely class. That, but not just because of Bruno. The whole team's attack. This is what I want to talk about: is talking about people getting confidence. Jesus Christ, Rashford! Where did I know. He absolutely unstoppable every minute, just running, running, and that we'd seen that like seasons ago. We'd seen him do it for England, and it just disappeared. And I completely forgot about Rashford on the pitch. The thing is, I was like. See the thing is, last like for example, last night's game against PSG, I thought Rashford was okay, but then when he scored the goal, I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> the problem is Rashford's decision making is sometimes questionable. He likes to do this thing where he likes to do like a Ronaldinho thing, where he stops, tries to dictate the play, tries to fool the attacker. Rashford is most deadly when he runs at players because they're scared of his pace and his ability on the ball, right? Yeah. Does he have the ability to do the scrappy tap-in goal that most clinical strikers do, like the Harry Canes of this world, the Linekers of this world, the Shearers of this world? No. But I tell you what, most of the time when Rashford scores a goal, everyone's like, what a goal that is. Take the goal in the Newcastle game. Like, yeah. How many people does he beat and then puts it away? I know. It's, it, it, Bruno's finish is exceptional. Rashford's assist is awesome. Very, very good. in the game on... Two assists, one goal, and he's in this uh, this team of the week on FIFA as a striker. So, fingers crossed for my rewards tomorrow. Hopefully, I get him in the old Packer dreams. But I digress. Listen, Juan Basaka's finish is absolutely outrageous. That I, didn't... <laughs> I didn't. I won. I was like, "Don't shoot!" And then I was like, "Shoot!" <laughs> absolutely hammers it. I think that was one of three goals I picked out this weekend. One I really don't want to talk about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that wow, that finish from a, from him, who's not known for his attacking intent, and the fact yeah. that he's a right back and known as a defensive right back, that is a class finish. And that, do you know that what? Is, that is a defender's finish, though. Just hammer it at the goal. Oh yeah, but it's top bins, mate. It's top corner. Hit it as hard as he can. Of course, it's hitting the roof of the net. There's nowhere else it's going to go. It's not going in the bottom corner. It's not going in the middle. Listen, if you're going to score your first goal for for United at right back, that that's the one to score, isn't it? I think that's done a wonders for his confidence. I also think he's been much better since the international break. And considering how much press coverage he's getting at the moment for certain things he's doing off the pitch, which he shouldn't really be doing, 
he does he's the only united player who doesn't seem to be affected by it you know rashford's getting positive press but that seems it, it was affecting him in some way and Maguire's getting negative press and that was affected him in some way so fair play to the mental fortitude of aaron wandersaka then obviously bruno's 40 yard pass to rashford's outrageous and the finishes class listen i put brucey bonus thank you very much steve bruce really appreciate it uh we needed the three points we desperately had to beat Newcastle because I'm a big believer and obviously you and I and Richard have that, that little group chat on Facebook. I agreed with Richard. I think if Ollie had lost against Newcastle, that would have probably been its, its closing time. One, you know, one last call for alcohol. See you later. I mean, I won't lie. I was pretty absent from that group chat this weekend. But... Yeah, well, uh, yeah, because as soon as you conceded that 3-3, I messaged in there straight away. <laughs> That's why. Listen, like you said, when, when your team wins, there's not much to say. It was a solid performance from United. The only other thing I will say is in regards to the Champions League, there's a lot of haters going in last night saying, it's only Newcastle. Calm down, United. Well, we went to the Champions League finalists last night and we beat them 2-1 in their own backyard and they didn't even score their own goal because we scored back-to-back own goals, okay? They had Mbappe, Neymar. Di Maria, Navas, Idrissa Garnagay, and Herrera, and we played them off the bloody park. Yeah, they came at us, but for anyone who says Oli doesn't have any tactics, lies. He's benched Pogba, he set out a back five, he put Tellez at left back, he said, by the way, you all thought Luke Shaw couldn't play left centre back. Well, he can. Maguire didn't even play. We played a player, Axel Tuanzebe, who hasn't played in 10 months, and he yeah. pocketed Mbappe. Right, Wambasaka, Mbappe's having fucking nightmares about Wambasaka right now. He is. He's like, how do I get out? How do I escape this de- nightmare pocket that I'm in from Aaron Wambasaka? All I'm going to say is, I really, all I hope is that you haven't sharpened your sword because this is the amount of energy I want to see week in week out. This is what the excitement we want. I just want to see Man United keep doing it. Well, other than when you come up against us. Like, well, of course. Good. Listen, we've got really hard games, but I have said time and time again, Solskjaer always goes to the brink and then he pulls out some outrageous results. And lo and behold, what's happened? He went to the brink, Newcastle 4-1, PSG 2-1. Right, we've got Chelsea, Arsenal, Everton and Leipzig in our next four games. I wouldn't be surprised if he won at least two of those games. So kind of what you're saying is what Spurs did was a favour? Like, we helped you out? Like, you really need... Yeah. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm saying you're a prick. And you got no, what you... And karmically, you got what you deserved, Tottenham. I'm going to get some joy for myself right now. I'm not slated in, like, any minute. I just need any other game. Like, should we talk about the Chelsea game? Should we talk about the Wolves Listen, game? at least you can... T- look, at least there is bad results across the weekend that you can look to and say thank god that happened because at least my team gets some of the heat taken off them united great we'll move on from that let's talk about three is the magic number let's talk about let's talk about chelsea southampton first then we'll we'll save tottenham for last because those are those are the sort of only notable i've 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 done an honorable mention for ross barkley but we'll we'll sort we'll sort of get to that yeah yeah i mean that was yeah we'll get to it um well, then, if we're doing Chelsea, Werner, Jesus Christ. Finally, the sleeping giant awoke in yeah. Timo Werner. First goal, class. I showed it to my niece. She was like, so what, it's a goal? I was like, he has just beaten five men and smashed that in. What are you talking about, so what? Wake mm-hmm. up and smell the goddamn coffee. Second one, he's like, oh, I can do a little bit better. Let me G- the second one is outrageous. Oh. Alex McCarthy... Yes. Uh, 
humiliation. Yeah. He's probably sitting around the breakfast table with his family, just like, I can't play next weekend because Timo Werner has mugged me off so aggressively. The, the audacity to try and, one, kick it over the keeper, and two, header it in off your own assist. Disgusting. Outrageous finish. Oh. But Chelsea showed the same issue they've always shown. What was that about? Fabulous going forward. Terrible defensively. Am I shocked? No. Because one, you spent 220 million on only attackers. Right? Mm. Yeah, you bought left, you bought Ben Chilwell. What did I say about Ben Chilwell? Great going forward. Terrible coming back. What did I say about Mendy? Good keeper. Oh, he's injured. Where's your cover? Kepper. <laughs> the clown, the clown that is Kepper. He is so much of a clown. Uh, look, I did think we guess. Did you see? You need a Kepa segment where we have a little. Ah, uh, he's I terrible. I think that's the last time you see him. Kepa, like we just need a little trigger for that. I think that's the last time you see Kepa in a Chelsea shirt, genuinely, yeah, because uh, I don't know if you saw, but yesterday they listed Petr Cech as part of their uh, Premier League squad. They brought him out of retirement to be the cover if Mendy is injured. If you think Petr Cech, who hasn't played in about a year and a half, two years, can offer you better coverage than a 25-year-old goalkeeper with a £72 million price tag, then you've been erroneously spending Chelsea. Because who told you that boy could do anything in between the sticks? Because he is bloody terrible. You've got to find that scout. Whoever found Kepa... Listen, they're never going to sell him on. That's their problem, right? So they're trying to tout him around for 40 million. Everyone looks at the goal. He's just at Southampton. Like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a packet of Quavers and two chocolate buttons for him. They're like, oh, no, 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 thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you, why didn't they play Willy Caballero? Right? And I asked that to the Chelsea fans that I watched that game with. I said, why haven't you played Willie Caviero? And they said, he's as bad as Kepper. And I said, no, he's not. Yeah, he's old. And yeah, he conceded three goals against West Brom. But guess what? West Brom were class for the first half. That's why they scored three goals. Not because he comes rushing out at Shea Adams. Now, listen, I know it's so unlucky. It bounces off the post. It bounces back into play. The defender misses it. And Shea Adams rifles it into the roof of net. There's nothing you can do about it. It is very unlucky. But when Kepper comes out like that, the fact that he even won, it's a penalty, right? So if they don't score, it's a pen in my book because he does bring the man down, but the man stays on his feet. Southampton showed it, didn't they? They went, oh, by the way, don't f- we, we are still in here, this team that are very difficult to break down and beat. And obviously, I very much enjoy Theo Walcott scoring his. Although people saying, oh, it's Vestergaard. Well, I don't care. Whoever, Theo played a part in them getting that point and... You know, at 31. I just think, yeah, Southampton just need to play in that kit. They look class in that kit. They look great on the ball. Southampton deserved it. That's the thing. They, they fought tooth and nail with Chelsea the other day. And we asked the question on this podcast multiple times, is this going to simply be a season where teams have to outscore each other? And I think, unfortunately, Chelsea are a testament that they're going to have to do that sort of thing. And Man City. Maybe that is going to be the case going forward. But the problem is you've got to outscore the other team. And that will segue us nicely into one of the worst capitulations I think I've ever witnessed in Spurs West Ham. Ian, how are you feeling? Okay, so here's the thing, right? This weekend, I didn't have internet. Right. So my only experience of the game was a very slow feed 
which was horrible to like literally just read moment by moment. And then when it happens all in like the space of five, 10 minutes, the feed mm. doesn't keep up to date. It's crap. You're on your 4G. It isn't working. So all I get is, what did you put in? The chat was just like, put, ha, 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 Ian, ha, 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 that's all I put. That was it. And my heart just sunk because I'd obviously seen what was going on. And then obviously my credit to this podcast, I went away and did my research today. Now that I have my internet back, mm-hmm. not want to watch that highlight reel. Yeah, I did yeah, yeah. touch it, but credit where credit is due. West Ham bounced back. West Ham came for us. Listen, Let's- you bottled. You bottled. It's not a question of how much West Ham wanted it. Davison oh. Sanchez's own goal is awful. I, I wasn't saying anything. I was just saying we 100% bottled it. Like, we looked great in the first half. Oh, yeah. You looked absolutely fantastic. Then you brought Bale on and everything went wrong. Kane <laughs> doing what Kane does, you know, setting up everyone, scoring for himself. Going for a fourth, a fifth, like he kept going for it. But oh, when he hit the post with that, with that nearly the hat trick, my god, so unlucky to not score that. So unlucky, but yeah, just didn't show. I don't know. We just sat back. We were like, it's West Ham, like we always do. Like it's a classic England thing, a classic Spurs thing. You're up. You just start playing the ball around. You haven't got the energy anymore. You become lax, and. Teams are going to punish you. Oh, yeah. And as West Ham proved, they're going to punish you fast and they're going to punish you hard. Agreed. I don't care. Like, Lazzini's third, that final goal, absolutely stunning. Listen, like, that's outrageous, that strike. But do you know whose fault it is? It's not Tottenham's defence and it's not West Ham's. Harry Winks is so complacent in the clearing that ball, he passes it to Lanzini. That's the issue, right? If he boots out the pitch, you win 3-2, there's three points on the board, and people are talking about how you might be title contenders. right? And after 15 minutes, people are thinking, Jesus, Spurs might be title contenders. And then you rest on your laurels, and lo and behold, it's free, free at full time. And I said to my partner, I said, she said, do you reckon that game's dead and buried? I said, it's three goals after 15 minutes. Yeah, I said, this could be a cricket scoreline. Then it's bloody 3-3. Three, three. Yeah. They get one, fine. That's fine. Then you anchor down. You stop pushing forward. But then Gareth Bale, this is the problem. This is the risk of Bale, right? He does so uh, so much good work. He gets forward. He breaks away. He cuts inside. And then he, instead of passing it into the far corner, he tries to do near post. I'm like, what are you doing, you absolute yeah. bloody clown? Especially like what Kane is running right beside him. It's an easy layoff. It's an easy ball to play. But Ego you cannot factor for, my friend. Yeah, thing i guess just spurs have used up all their goals like we had an allotted amount of goals we could score and we've clearly used them for the season but like think of it this way nine times out of ten kane will pass to sun yeah nine times out of ten and maybe i'm gonna give a little bit of stick here to human son because of that pass he didn't do to kane at the start of the season but let's say eight times out of ten sun passes to harry kane Right, they have a very fruitful partnership at the moment. In fact, if it continues, they could break records on how fruitful it's going to be. Will Bale pass? No, I I think Bale would pass maybe one times out of ten. So I understand Mourinho's uh, reluctance to play him. I think maybe that's what Mourinho is also banking on: is going, oh, let's just put on this one-man wonder for the last twenty minutes, get him a free kick, get him a corner, whatever, and he's going to deliver. 
you know, which isn't really team football. And I mean, I think I voiced it early on that I wasn't super excited about the Bale return. And then I got somewhat excited and then he played this weekend and then I got a lot less excited. Obviously, Derby game is a perfect game to bring him back. He's obviously had some iconic goals in that game. One in particular, I can think, where he scored a 94th minute winner for you with an outrageous 30-yard strike. The problem is, is the same issue that Pochettino had when Leicester won the title, right? This season could be one of those seasons where everyone's average and all it takes is a bit of consistency to win the title. Spurs... Cannot find it. Draw against Newcastle, beat us 6-1. Draw against West Ham, then you'll probably beat Burnley 5-0. Then you'll probably draw. And that's the problem. Whereas you've got teams like Everton who are four wins and a draw. Aston Villa who are four wins out of four. One of those teams being Liverpool and the other being Leicester. Who'd have bloody thought it, eh? I mean, well, I mean, after Barkley, what can you say, man? Look, I've put barking up the right tree here. I'm going to tell you the talking points because, you know, I like to stroke my own ego and all that sort of good stuff. But wow. what a bloody strike by Ross Barkley. But you know he loves a long shot. So what is the Leicester defender doing there? He should be thinking, I'm not going to let him shoot. There's only a minute to play here. And, it's, and like Spurs, it's about that switch. Just you've got to play to the whistle. You've got to stay switched on. You play the full 90 every single time. Doesn't matter if there's two seconds left because all it takes is them to hoof it up the pitch, Antonio to header it down, and, and then a West Ham player to lash it in. The same goes with Villa, the same goes with United, the same goes with PSG. Whatever it may be, you have to play the 490. You're professional footballers. You've played enough games to know that it only is over once the whistle blows. It's as simple as that. And the Premier League is, is a very weird beast this season. And we're seeing a lot of shock results. So clubs should be sort of coming to terms with the fact that, hey, there is no guarantee this season. Fans aren't here. That's yeah. a factor. Just play 100% conviction and you will get the result. Yeah, it's true. A lot of teams are just plodding along like Wolves put away a win. You know. Lucky, lucky win for Wolves, in my opinion. Again, should have been a draw. I think that's Wolves' type of football, isn't it? It's just getting that goal and that's it. Finish it. However you get it, whether you literally drag it across the line, they're going to get that goal and they're going to finish that game off kind of thing. That's the it looks so average this year compared to last year. Last year, they were really dangerous on the counter. Their game plan seems to have gone out the window. Maybe, maybe the 12th man at Molyneux was the crowd. I don't know. Obviously, they've got some quality players. I'm not denying that. But as a unit, they seem to be struggling to find the cohesion they had previously. And obviously, we know Fulham and Sheffield, relegation fodder, not doing each other any favours by drawing with each other. Obviously, yeah. Leeds messing up again as well. It, would ha it was going to happen. It was going to happen. It was. Well, their momentum was going to slow at some point. I wasn't expecting it quite so soon. And then Man City, obviously, stealing a very vital win for themselves. God, Arsenal look like just the most beta team in the entire world. Because of Arteta, I was like, are you simping for Man City or something? You don't even look like you want to win this game. You're happy for City to just cruise to a 1-0 victory, show no fight, no heart, no conviction. Yeah, maybe you should have had a penalty. So what? But other than that, you were like, oh, we'd rather lose 1-0 than lose 5-1. It's clear Sterling enjoyed his rest on the international break. Yeah, well... Uh, the thing is, his goal was messy as well. It wasn't like well worked, was it? It was just the ball. But Leno, Leno parried it out to Sterling, who lashed it in. A decent cut back in, wasn't it, from him? Like he did some work to get back into the box. 
I don't know. I just I, I I watched that game and I was like, City, you probably needed the three points, but I don't think you look incredible. And Arsenal, you look like you've got no spine and you're happy to lose this game. That that's that's how I viewed it. I think what summed that up is where Louise almost put it in his own net and everyone just looked at him and went, All right, well it didn't happen, so let's just move on. You're like, What? That is Yeah so much space. like no one attacked that ball. There was so much space. No one even attempted for it in any shape or form. I think that just summed up both teams just being like, eh, well, we got one. Well, we've lost it. It's fine. Just yeah. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. And, and I did think, I, sa- I sat there and I thought, God, I picked Aubameyang to be top goal scorer this season. And he looks invisible. He looks like he got the contract he wanted. And now he doesn't give a, a flying fuck. To be honest, Arsenal have, well, the one thing they had going for them is that they always had goals in them. Right. They had defensive woes. Now they look like they've got defensive woes and no goals in them. So, yeah, they might have got the first three wins and be on nine points. But guess what? If United beat Chelsea or Chelsea beat United, either of them go above you. Interesting. Yeah. They... So your, your, your well-worked, hard-worked start of the season is irrelevant because yeah. you're spineless. They are a spineless side, in my opinion. And here's this frightening stat for any Arsenal fan listening. Ian. They have not won away at a top six club in 28 games. Do you know how much time that is? That's five years. Damn. Five years. The last time they won was away to Man City in 2015. (laughs) And not one, not Tottenham, not United, not Chelsea, not Liverpool. Yikes. They've not beat one of them away from home in five years. Not once. Mentality. Baiters, yeah. simps, spineless. I'm sorry, Arsenal. There's no conviction there. There's no heart there. And it's almost like it's pathetic. I'm just like, that is really, really embarrassing. And you you should want to come to these away games and not go, oh, well, we haven't won an away game in 28 games. We're just going to roll yeah, over and die. You, you should be like, we are going to fucking win today because I want this curse lifted. We're going to set a trend that we can do away, well away from home. But they don't. They're awful away from the Emirates. And... They're awful in the Emirates as well. <laughs> Sorry. Dems the truths. So what's your, uh, let's give a quick roundup of the week. Obviously, we know your favourite game. My favourite game is obviously the Man United-Newcastle game. My favourite goal of the weekend is the Lanzini goal, just because of how outrageous it is, how yeah. absurd it is. Listen, I can be objective. That is what football is all about. Sorry, that that moment, that 94th minute strike, even, and it's made even better because the Reese does everything he can to get to it, even gets a hand to it, and yeah. it still goes in. Uh, one to forget, I want to say Arsenal, just because you, any Arsenal fan should be looking at that and going, oh should my God. Arsenal-Man City should have been a big, exciting game, and I think, yeah, it was, I just put it at the bottom of the pile of stuff to watch. Yeah, terrible. And then MVP... I'm probably going to have to go Timo Werner just because of his second goal. Just outrageous. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say Marcus Rashford's for two two assists and a goal, but, you know, I'm trying to be as objective as possible. Yes, I can be biased, but yes, I also see the beauty in every game. Yeah, I guess uh, for me, I think game, game of the week for me was the Chelsea-Southampton, just purely on the part of Southampton, just fighting back for that and coming back strong and looking good. It was nice to see. And it's good to see Chelsea get their comeuppance every once in a while. Ooh, goal. I really don't want to give it either, but I think it is Lazzini. Mm-hmm. It is Lazzini. What can I do? Barclays, I think Barclays is great. 
the Lanzini's is so crucial to that game and it hurts so much. And when it's an unstoppable bullet like that, you just have to sit down and take it, you know? Um, and that looked great. Unsavable, just unsavable, can't be saved. One of my favorite moments of the weekend though was, I think it was in the Palace Brighton game. The commentator basically has a breakdown in the middle of the game. Someone goes down in the box and the commentator goes, oh, you know what they all say? When there's a foul, there's a, and then um, there's a, oh no, wait, there's a foul. And like completely blew his line. <laughs> so, especially when you set it up with, you know what they all say? And I'm like, you have no idea what they say, do you? Like, I, I probably understand the analogy he's trying to make where there's smoke, there's fire, effectively, right? Yeah, he's, no, he was trying to say, oh, if you, if you feel like you're getting pulled, what is it? If you don't go down, you don't get the foul, was what he was trying to say. But he completely blew it, and it was just the fact that he set it up with, you know what they say, and then completely blew the line. And I was like, oh, man, I feel you so there, There's your one to forget, then, because he's probably, yeah, he's probably sitting there with his porridge in the morning, spoon half-cocked towards the mouth, just being like, fuck my what life. Say, what do I do? Yeah, that was that was a brilliant moment. Uh, but yeah, game to forget. Uh, well, that's my moment to forget. What else is on the board? Worst game? Tottenham West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna skip over it. Um, been one too many horror analogies. This. Episode. Oh god, yeah. But this is what podcasts are made for, right? So we'll bring. Well, there's no transfer segment anymore, people. It is done. It's over. Transfer season is over till January. So. <laughs> We briefly, briefly just talk about, not even talk about, but just honourable mentions um, to the Champions League fixtures. Obviously, incredible result for Manchester United, beating Paris Saint-Germain at home. Great result for them. Terrible result for PSG. Shockingly, this evening, before we recorded this podcast, Real Madrid have actually just lost at the Bernabeu to Shakhtar Donetsk, which is free to outrageous. A COVID-ruined Shakhtar as well. Oh, yeah, I know. Second string team. And they had that game won, like, you know, it was, what, 3-0 by half-time? Terrible. Don't look at that obviously, goal. obviously, I know Real fought back, but too little too late, I'm afraid. 100%. Other than that, Chelsea had a, a poor start to the Champions League, drawing 0-0 with Sevilla at Stamford Bridge, not a good result. And Liverpool are currently beating Ajax 1-0 off an own goal. So, post-Van Dyke seem to be doing okay so far. We will see. Other than that, no, Bayern Munich are trouncing uh, Atletico Madrid 4-0. I'll, I'll be shocked. No. City are beating Porto 3-1 currently. Don't see that one changing. Inter are struggling to beat Muccia Gladbach. So, again, don't really see that changing. Some as-expected results, but some shocks. And I guess that's what the Champions League is all about. And we won't do too much coverage of the Champions League, but when we get into the knockout stages, we'll talk about it a little bit more because, obviously, that's when it becomes its gritty excitement. Once my mic go out, we'll probably stop talking about it completely. Oh, yeah. Now, we, we'll never speak about it again after that. Um, Three-time winners, though, so... Right. The most bittersweet showcase you've probably ever had to do or experience, and one yeah. that you'll be very familiar with. This week, we have selected... It was either Timo Werner or Sir Harry of the Kane, and because of Kane's prolific history in the Premier League... We decided to do Kane. As a neutral, I quite like Harry Kane. And obviously, Ian loves Harry Kane because of his association to Tottenham. So we thought, why not? Obviously, he is... The, the, the eternal question is asked about Harry Kane is, will he be the man to beat Alan Shearer's goal-scoring record? Like, Tough. 
it's a very tough record and like they're generations apart as well isn't it it's a different game now and that's not to like diminish that record in any shape or form but i think kane's proving like he is he's a team player and that's the oh, of his game these days and i think that is I don't know if that's going to make him score more because people are going to be more willing to give it to him because they're going to expect it back and all that kind of stuff and like that team cohesion as we're seeing with him and Son. Is that going to allow him to score more or is he going to start dropping back and not score as many? Will he, I don't know who else could... We haven't seen the player who could rival it though, I don't think, yet. There is a dark horse player which a lot of people are talking about and depends how the rest of his Manchester City career goes but Raheem Sterling is on 89 goals at 24. Exactly. Yeah. So if he has a couple more of a couple more big years, he will be in the equation. He could even be one of the Premier League's top goal scorers. Now, Harry Kane is a British institution in a way, in terms of what he embodies, and in in ways I kind of draw parallels to Alan Shearer because Kane stays at his childhood club or the club he grew up supporting and loving, regardless of winning trophies. That is very similar to, of course, Shearer, who first went to Southampton, then he went to Blackburn, got a taste of success. He even won a Premier League and decided, no, I'd still rather play for Newcastle because that's where my heart lies. And that's the beautiful, sentimental side of football that we all enjoy. And there is an element of Harry Kane to that, because I'm sure he could go to Man City. City desperately need a striker. I'm sure he could go to Barcelona or Real Madrid, because on paper, Kane is one of the best strikers in the world and in my opinion he is world class I have a lot of naysayers and a lot of the British public that actually don't believe Harry Kane is as good as he says he is absolutely ridiculous stats do not lie we'll start at the beginning the first talking point was always going to be a Spurs fan now interestingly enough this is a highly contested point because Kane actually spent a lot of his youth career well not a, not a lot but a part of his youth career 2001 to 2002 precisely in the Arsenal Youth Academy. Look, you've got to go behind enemy lines. You've got to learn mm -hmm. yeah. how it works. Look, the reality of a footballer's career is that it's mercenary-based in a sense that if you want to do well, you have to take every opportunity presented to you. Kane was playing for a local side to his um, Walthamstow route, which was the Ridgeway Rovers. They were very, very amateur. He then had the chance to trial be part of the youth set up at arsenal now he was actually let go from arsenal's youth academy because he was seen as too chunky and not athletic enough which obviously we know is ludicrous now and even in retrospect uh former arsenal manager arsene wenger stated in 2015 that he was disappointed that Arsenal chose to release Harry Kane. I don't know how true that is. I don't know if that's him trying to save face because obviously yeah. Wenger is known for his ability to spot youth talent. And that is probably one of the biggest talents that has come out of the youth system in a, in a very long time, especially in England. So after his failure there, not failure, but rejection there, uh, he moved back to Ridgeway Rovers again where it looked like maybe it wasn't going to work out the football injury. Luckily, he managed to convince Watford to take him on a six-week trial. And in that six-week trial, he played Tottenham, who had rejected him at youth level. And he smashed their youth team around. And because of that, they went, right, hang on. There might be something here. Why don't you come back? And that's how we got into the Tottenham youth setup. Now, historically, heritage, ancestry, hereditary, parentage, whatever it is, his family are Tottenham fans. Yeah. 
And his childhood icons growing up were David Beckham and Ronaldo. And I'm not talking about Cristiano. I'm talking about dodgy haircuts. Thankfully, Kane hasn't adopted that trait. He's been at Tottenham for a very long time. He's been at Tottenham since 2004 at youth level, but then obviously at senior level, he's been at Tottenham since 2009. And this is where he hopped aboard the Orient Express. Ah, thank you. Obviously, Harry Kane went on loan to Leighton Orient. Um, he's, that was his first senior team that he played for competitively, and that will loop back around later on. Uh, Kane made only 18 appearances, but he scored five goals, which, again, is decent for someone who's just first coming into a setup. Obviously, he's a striker. He's supposed to get goals. And don't worry, spoilers, he gets plenty of those. After a successful loan spell at Orient, he then went on like a... A journey, as it were, or a spree, loanee guarantee. Mill, he went to Millwall on loan and he made 22 appearances and scored seven goals and was instrumental in stopping them from being relegated. If you took his goals out of the equation, they would have been relegated that season and they wouldn't be in the championship now. He went on Norwich City on loan, but he only made three appearances and that was because of striker issues that actually Tottenham were having that January at the end of the 20, uh, 2012 season with Roberto Saldado not working out and another striker who I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But he only made three appearances and Tottenham actually recalled him. But then, the following season, they loaned him out to Leicester, which I always find funny because he went to Leicester, he played at Leicester, he scored two goals and obviously he has an incredible goal-scoring record against Leicester. So he obviously has the cut-throat, ruthless attitude that a striker needs to perform without sentimentality which is always good to see and definitely an English player who you know our mentality is often questioned when it comes to our ability to play football uh in other areas of his youth game he's played for England under 17s made through three appearances scored two goals then he played for England under 19s he made 14 appearances and scored six goals then under 20s he's made three appearances and scored one goal and then for under England under-21s, he made 14 appearances and scored eight goals. Now, obviously, Kane knows how to score goals, whether it's at youth level and whether it's at a senior level. He's always been around goals. He was originally supposed to be a holding midfielder in. What? That's what well, he... It makes sense. It, yeah, I can see it. You can see him as a sort of centre-mid, centre-defensive mid, all that kind of stuff. The thing is, obviously, as he gets older, I imagine Kane is going to drop backwards because, like yeah. Rooney did, Kane has never been explosively fast and often pace dictates how long a striker lasts in the Premier League. Look, look at Vardy, 30, 33, and he could outpace Harry Kane now. That's just the reality. Yeah, no. Rooney was never the fastest, but he could be explosive. He was like a bulldog, people equate him to. Kane is a force to be reckoned with going forward. His hold-up play is exceptional, and that's what I truly think makes him a very good striker and a team player. But I think inevitably, and then again raises the question mark of, do I think he's going to beat Shearer's record? I think he'd probably fall just short would be my reality, because what's going to happen is his legs will keep going and going and going, and he'll have to drop further back and back and back. I don't see Kane still playing the game at 35. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I can look back at this in, what would it be? Uh, eight years' time, and he's still playing, but I don't think so. This is where Kane has the illustrious what-you-want-your-career-to-go-like career. Bar-winning trophy. Sorry, Harry. The moniker 
which you will be familiar with, is the Hurricane, as they call him, which is a little bit cringy for me, but whatever. It's... Oh, when, what was that YouTube song that Spurs fans? Uh, yeah, so I I actually have an indirect uh, with this. So when I was in recruitment, I was working with a girl called Kendra who was actually looking for a job for the guy who came up with that song. So there was a guy on social media. I can't remember his name. I think it was Robert. But essentially, he filmed himself with a group of lads doing a rap about Harry Kane. And it would go, you just got Kane. You just got Kane. You just got Kane. You just got Kane. Uh, and it was uh, some rappy bits which i don't know i obviously i only know the chorus honestly cringe went viral for all the wrong reasons but maybe not directly because of that there was a sense that kane was very symbolic so people started to call him the hurricane you know you know how we do in football kane there's an element of luck to the way his career went i guess in a sense of you have to be presented with the opportunity in football. If we ever do a brace showcase on Marcus Rashford, what, you, you're, what you'll see about Rashford's career is that three striking options for United hadn't been injured, Rashford never would have played and might still be trying to struggle to break into the academy. The same goes for Kane. He, he came in at a time where Pochettino needed reinforcements and he shined. That's what he had to do. In his first season in the Premier League, Kane scored, well, one, he got to the, the Carabao Cup final, which obviously you lost, Ian. Sorry about that. Thanks for a reminder. No worries. So in, in Kane's first proper season, which was the 2014-2015 season, he'd made three, 10 appearances before that and four subs. But in, in his first ever season, he, he scored three goals in 10 appearances. Again, it's not a bad return for a youth player, especially. In his first proper season, which was the 2014-2015 season, Harry Kane scored 21 goals and 34 appearances. That's a great return for a first season. But that is turning up for the first day. That is turning up for, for your first day. Now, his second season, his sophomore season, whatever you want to call it, that was the one that everyone went, wow. Because yeah. I remember at the time, everyone's like, Harry Kane's a one-season wonder. How many times did you hear that? One season wonder. I think there's even a Tottenham chant about it, which is, I th he's still a one season wonder, one season wonder. Obviously, Kane is not a one season wonder, as we know. So his second year was the 2015-2016 season. That's the year that you got to the Carabao Cup final. You did lose to Chelsea, but Kane won in his second season, the golden boot, edging out Jamie Vardy and Sergio Aguero, who both had 24 goals. And was the year that Leicester won the title. So that's the year you should have won the title, Ian, and yeah, your club yeah. bottled it. What is this? I thought we were doing a brace showcase, not just hammer on at me. No, oh, but this, this is the truth. Sorry. The truth <laughs> sometimes escapes during the, the showcase. So Kane, in that season, won Player of the Month in 2015. Uh, twice. He's the f in a row. So he won it January 2015 and February 2015. Fourth player ever mm. to do that. I think Thierry Henry... Shearer and someone else have done it. So, again, elite company. Yeah. He's won the Golden Boot twice. He's won it in 2015-2016 and 2016-2017. And obviously, as we know, and as I've put here, he's won another Golden Boot as well, which he won at the 2018 World Cup. Not the most pretty Golden Boot in the world, but still, nonetheless, a valid Golden Boot. And was nice to hear, at least in the World Cup final after it, 
an English player's name mentioned. By the way, Harry Kane has won the Golden Boot. But he didn't collect it, which I felt odd about. Yeah. Because historically, obviously, usually the Golden Boot winner is in the final, but it doesn't work that way. It would have been weird, though, right? Everyone, like, they're celebrating winning the World Cup and they just bring on Harry Kane. It'd be a bit strange. Well, it, don't you remember in the 2018 World Cup, Croatia, Luka Modric won the, the player of the tournament. Yeah. But they lost. <laughs> the most bittersweet thing. Yeah, thanks very much for that. Throw that away. <laughs> I wanted to win the World Cup. Talk about consolation prize. How long, how many years has it been since uh, English players won the Golden Boot at the World Cup? Yeah, I believe it was Gary Lineker was the last person to win it. And I think it was something like 28 years. So he's a record breaker. Kane has broken the record held by Ter Teddy Sheringham for most Premier League goals scored in a single season, which was 26. Kane has broken that. He's also broken the most goals scored by a Tottenham player in a single calendar season. So that includes European football, cup competitions. As I've put here, dethroning Messi and Ronaldo. So in the, tw I believe it was the 2017-18 season, Harry Kane scored more goals in a calendar year than Messi and Ronaldo. And I remember it because I was watching the game he did it in and he scored a hat-trick against Southampton, which meant on like the 18th of December. So he, he's one of those students who did it just before the deadline, just got it in. The pressure of the last minute, that's all he needed. He also broke Shearer's record for the most hat-tricks in, in, in Premier League history. And the most goals in a calendar year, he broke the English record for that as well. He is a natural-born record-breaker and a natural-born scorer. Kane, sadly, has no trophies to his name, just personal accolades. Let's briefly talk about some of his stats. In the Premier League, he first season, three goals in 10 games. Then second season, 2014-15, 21 goals in 34 games. Then in 2015-2016, 25 goals in 38 games. Then the 2016-2017 season, 29 goals in 30 games, which is outrageous. <laughs> then, right that you didn't get 30. Oh, yeah. Then 2017-2018, to 2018, 30 goals in 37 appearances. And that season, because of Mo Salah's excellent form, was still not enough to win him the golden boot for three times in a row. And there's only one other player who's done that, I believe, and it's Thierry Henry. Next season, and this is where Tottenham's system started to negatively affect Kane. And I think nowadays we're seeing that return to form because Mourinho believes Kane should be the focal point of the team. Whereas Pochettino only cared about the team as a unit and Kane suffered from that. I think Lucas Moura's introduction and insistence that Pochettino play him were the problems with that again because he didn't benefit from it because Kane kept dropping deep to try and support the front line, but he's got to be up top to score. So in the 2018-2019 season, he scored 17 goals in 28 appearances. It's not bad. He did have, an, he did have a bad injury that yeah, year as well. A lot of injury that season and he got very shaken by it as well. I think we need to remember. Like, yeah. He stayed away for a long period of time. And then 29 appearances the following year, 18 goals. Again, he had an injury which took him out for six months. He came back towards the end because of the pandemic, allowed him to come back for the end of the season. But when he initially got injured before the pandemic started, it was reported that Kane would be out for the rest of the season. 
So he benefited from that stats-wise. Now this year, he has made five appearances, Ian, and he has scored five goals. So 100% record. Let's go. However, I will say, Hyun Min Son has made five appearances and scored seven goals. <laughs> yeah, but, but who's setting them all up? Who's oh, there? I agree. Well, that's what I was going to say. Kane has scored, has got seven assists this season. Mad. Which is absolutely crazy. That that is mental to me. That that figure. Like for me, my stand, my random standout memory for Kane is not all the goals he scored. Is in the 2018 World Cup. I can't remember who England were playing, but you mean Tunisia when he scored last minute header? No, no, not, not it's not a goal. It's nothing like that. I don't know why this. I think the thing is everyone talking about him as a goal scorer, and that's all anyone saw him as. And he was never really seen as like this great team player, even though his hold-up play was great. It was always to lay someone off so that he could then get the return or whatever. But it was in, I can't remember what game it was, but it was an England game. He made a run for a ball. He put his head down to get it. And this player came flying in, boot straight to his uh, face. I do remember this game. It was against Portugal. There we go. Boot straight to the face. And he was on the halfway line, stood up and just carried on down the pitch and just ran and he ran. And I went, yeah, he can play. Like, he is there for the team. And I just, I don't know why that's, like, the whistle was blown. He was like, no, I'm going, I'm going. They're like, okay, well, let's just let it be. But, yeah, slammed in the face. He didn't look like he cared at all. Like, not even like a blink. And I was like, okay, he's that kind of player. And then from then on, we saw him risking it. And, yeah, he took some injuries that season. But he was going in for stuff. He was putting his head down. He was getting involved. And that's what you want to see from a striker. He's a huge asset for, for England. His mentality is one of a team player. Like I said, he's got lots of assists for a striker. This season in particular, he's shown he can, play a play, he can be a playmaker and a goal scorer. And that's the most dangerous. I think, honestly, the most dangerous form we've seen Kane in is this season so far. If he can continue this this season, my God, he could score a lot of goals and get a lot of assists. Now, Kane's England record is also great. England's all-time top goal scorer is Wayne Rooney yeah. with 53. Kane has made 49 appearances and scored 32 goals. Let me tell you, Kane is going to break that record easily, right? One, he takes predominant, uh, a lot of England penalties. Two, he scores for England a lot. So I expect to see him probably in the next two years break yeah. that. You know, If he plays like a Lithuania, he's going to smash free against them. It's just the way Harry Kane rolls. Now, yeah. obviously, you can only beat who's in front of you. I remember Michael Owen saying, oh, I wish I played San Marino when I played for him. Shut up, Owen. You want to put one in anyway, Owen. Like we you can play. only be who is in front of you. We can't complain about the, the quality of the competition. And I will say, Kane does score against big clubs. He's a big game player. He's scored the most goals for Tottenham against Arsenal in the derby ever. So he scored 10 goals against Arsenal in derbies. He's also scored, was it 13 against Leicester? Right now, that might not be a big game to some, but you know, they've won the Premier League. Let's not disrespect them. He scored against twice against Matt. He scored about five times against Man United. He scored four, like seven times against Chelsea. He has a great return when it comes to playing big clubs. He doesn't shy away from the occasion. The only occasion he's ever failed to step up to, unfortunately, was the Champions League final. And the only runners up medal he has in his well, he has two, he has the Carabao Cup and the Champions League final, but still. He's got to the Champions League final. He wants to play at an elite level. He's got the drive, you know, and 
not only that, he's, he's probably one of the most altruistic footballers I know. Him and well, obviously Marcus Rash, Rashford being the pinnacle at the moment. But Kane, not a lot of people know this because he's not out touting it in the press. But did you know that at the moment, on the 14th of May 2020, Kane announced that he will sponsor Leighton Orient shirts for the next season to help support the, the club he first played for professionally through the COVID pandemic? No, I didn't know that. That's, so the un- that's exactly. So the unusual sponsorship deal, the first of its kind in English football, has been has the approval of the Premier League, the English Football League, and the Football Association. And the sponsorship has been donated to charities, which will receive ten percent of the proceeds of the respective shirt sales. The home shirt shows a thank you to the message to the NHS frontline workers tackling the pandemic. The away shirt sporting a logo of Haven House Children's Hospice, with the third kitsch features the mental health charity Mind. Oh man, I couldn't love a player more when they say stuff like that. Look that. But the, th- the best thing is he's not even out there going, oh, by the way, I'm being altruistic. Oh, by the way, I'm being a humanitarian. Oh, by the way, aren't I great? He's just doing it because he's appreciative that if, you know, if he hadn't gone on loan to Orient, if he hadn't gone loan to Millwall and everything, then he wouldn't be in the Tottenham first team today. He wouldn't be have the quality of life he has now. And he wouldn't be up there as one of the greatest strikers we've ever seen in the Premier League. Well, you've got to say, Spurs has the most wholesome front line. Him and Son. Like, that's just dream. Oh, him and Son, but Bale, nah. No, no, we'll forget about Bale. He's not part of it yet. Oh, he is. I guarantee (laughs) you've got Burnley next. I guarantee he starts. We'll see it. We'll see it. No, yeah, Kane, absolutely standout player. And I think across the board, like we're saying, you know, scores the goals. His hold-up play is ridiculous. Like, the amount he can do in that kind of position, upper body strength, all of that stuff. You don't expect it from him. I think that's the thing. He's so unassuming and as a person that you don't expect this kind of you know, methodical play, lethal in the box, all that kind of stuff. You just don't see it in him. Yeah. Well, listen, here's, here's a great quote about how Kane views footballing differently to others. This is him in 2016. He said, I played in a different position as a kid and it helped me learn different parts of the game. Playing alone up front means you have to be good at so much more than taking chances. I know in a game I'm going to receive the ball with my back to goal and that the team will need me to link up and bring others into play. How many strikers do you know that don't do that? so many so many many, you know and you know playing as a holding midfielder playing as a cam gives you that ability to pass and my god harry kane's ability to pass a ball is so criminally underrated it's outrageous some of the passes he's played over the last couple of weeks to human song are incredible and they're better than some attacking midfielders who play that position every week forward ball is incredible and i tell you what if he can do that now, where he's still supposed to be playing a striker, when I tell you what might keep him in the goal-scoring form, or at least in a rich frame of form for years to come, is as he starts to drop back, if he can pass like that, no worries. You're going to do fine at Cam. You're going to do fine at centre mid. You know? And that's what kept Rooney's career going for so long, because he could pass. Mm. The important thing is that if you have the vision, you can create. I mean, isn't that like pinnacle of being a striker, is the ability to pass and finish, right? Because if you're going to lay the ball off, people are going to give it to you more because they're expecting it back. But if, if you can also just turn around and absolutely slot that ball in, then you're going to do it at the same time. I think that just makes you, you know, that's what Rooney did and that's what you know, we've seen from so many strikers. And I think that just makes you the optimal striker is that ability to pass the ball around and to be so deadly in front of goal as well. I agree. And look, here's another endorsement to his qualities of footballer. This is Alan Shearer. If you don't know anyone who's listening, he's the top goal scorer in the Premier League's history. 
Shearer said this about Kane in 2015. He seems to have that natural ability to get goals. He's also young, fresh, and his attitude appears to be very, very good. What I like about him is that he is willing to run in behind defenders as well as go short. When he gets opportunities, he invariably takes them. He wants to uh, get his shot away very quickly, which is good to see. It looks as if he could have a very good future in the game. And lo and behold, he's had a very good future. The only thing that Kane is missing and will want, will want to win is trophies. Totally agree. But I mean, that's how far does the loyalty stretch, Ian? Well, there was so much speculation. And I think, you know, we've spoken about it. And everyone says, you know, he should have gone last season. He should have gone the season before. Uh, at this point, will he go? Well, I don't know. It's impossible to say, I think. We'll see, won't we? We'll see what the future holds. But what, what we will brief, briefly go over is I'll, just, I'll give you his overall contribution to the game and then we'll talk a little bit about his chances of breaking into the Premier League top 10, which, spoiler alert, are very good. In 215 appearances in the Premier League, Harry Kane has scored 148 goals. That's fantastic, right? He's also got 27 assists, seven of them coming this season alone. So we're going to see that go up, I'm sure, because his synergy with Son Sonny is outrageous. Of the 148 goals, 23 of them have been headers, nine of the, 91 of them have been with his right foot, and 33 of them have been with his left foot, and he's scored 21 penalties. He's only scored one free kick, but still, it's a free kick that he has scored. He has had 804 shots, and 365 of them have been on target. His overall shooting accuracy is 45%. He has been denied by the woodwork 23 times, and his goals per match expected, or executed is 0.69 i'd like to keep people to keep in mind that ronaldo's is 1.02 because of his time at real madrid so he's not that far off the pace believe me there are a lot of strikers out there who have got a lot of a lot worse 0.0s to goals expected goals delivered so the task for harry kane lines ahead of two things one he needs to win a trophy because there are other people that have won them jamie vardy's won one kane hasn't the Premier League top goal scorer list. Ian, let me ask you this. How many of the top 10 Premier League goal scorers are English? Have a go. Um, I'm going to put it at three. Eight. Oh, really? Does that shock you? Yeah, it shocked me. Eight of them are English. Wait, who we got? Well, obviously Shearer at the top there. So Alan Shearer is top with 260 goals. Then you've got Wayne Rooney with 208 Premier League goals. Very good, yeah. Wayne. Then you've got Andy Cole, which is 187 goals. Wow. Andy then you have your first international, which is Sergio Aguero, who's 180. But as we've seen in recent times, Aguero seems a little bit off the pace. Injuries are bringing him down. He could maybe make it a third. I don't see him getting to Wayne Rooney. Maybe he will. Who knows? Frank Lampard is fifth as a centre mid with 177 Premier League goals, which is outrageous, I know. Then Thierry Henry is sixth with 175. Then it's Robbie Fowler, seventh with 163. Then it's good old Jermaine Defoe with 162. Then it's Sir Michael of the Owen with 150 on the nose, which I know it doesn't really matter, but it's very aesthetically pleasing to me. You know, I always used to get annoyed with United because Bobby Charlton retired on 249 goals for the club. I was like, just score one more, Bobby. What are you doing? If you've got OCD, it drives you bloody insane. And then Les Ferdinand has 149. 
as you can see, and as I'm sure you can all tell, Ian, and listeners can tell, Harry Kane has 148. So, yes, he has a very good chance of breaking into the Premier League top 10 of all-time goal scorers. If Kane were to score 25 goals this season, that would put him seventh. And then if he had another good season, that would probably put him third of all time. Yeah. I think he'll definitely beat Wayne Rooney's. Shearer's 260 is very impressive. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's going to crack that. Like, especially in what we're seeing now, I just don't think it's crackable. Well, look, those are the two active players that are anywhere near it. Aguero's third, uh, fourth and Kane's 11th. The next person who's closest to cracking that, who's still active in the game, is Sadio Mane. Oh, it's both of them. They're joined. So it's Mane and Sterling who are both on 88 goals. Other than that, oh, Jamie Vardy. But look, I didn't pick Vardy for a very specific reason, which is that he's probably only got a couple of years left. He's not going to get into the top 10. It's just not going to happen. But Sterling and Mane are both young. It can be done. Sterling in particular, because Sterling's only just turned 25. Yeah, that's scary. So, listen, Mane's going to get in the Premier League 100 club. Sterling's going to get in the Premier League 100 club. And Salah's going to get in the Premier League 100 club. Other than that, there's a huge gap then to anyone who's near, even being substantially worth talking about. But for Kane... In a nice summarising bow for Kane to be 27, the prime of his career, scoring as effectively as he does and is, assisting as much as he does, there is no doubt in my mind that he can at least become the second top goal scorer in Premier League history. I believe that. He is a world-class striker who is criminally underrated for his ability to link a team together, play as a unit, hold up the pool, and have a wand of a right, left foot, heads, whatever it may be, he is a natural-born goal scorer and has shown that time and time again. And yes, he has won personal accolades galore, but I would love to see him win a trophy as a neutral, as long as he doesn't play United oh, in the final. I want a trophy. Oh, I know you do. <laughs> well, well, I guess as we're talking goals, let's talk about the weekend ahead. Okay. Let's do it. I would like to revisit last weekend's results briefly, Ian, and we can talk about the heads-to-heads, and then we'll talk about the weekend to come. So, Ian, how do you think you did? I don't think it went well for me, if I'm honest. I think I think you might be right, but we'll see. Call <laughs> me with confidence and words like that. You, you, put that you, you thought it, uh, Everton were going to beat Liverpool 3-1, so you were wrong there. Okay. What did you put then? 2-2. Two, two. <laughs> you absolutely bastard. That's three points for me. Thank you very much. Oh, get get a room. Then we were both fools for backing Chelsea because obviously that was a draw. So you, I put 3-0, you put 2-0. So neither of us were right there. Leicester, Aston Villa. We both backed Leicester. And we were both wrong again. So egg and face. The disrespect you showed Manchester United in putting 2-1 Newcastle has cost you. Ruh. Ridiculous. And do you know what? I put 3-1. And oh, if the ref had blown the whistle, that was another three <laughs> correct points. It was one point for me. That you wouldn't score a fourth goal. You're nah, like, I'd happily lose the points to score plenty more. So at the moment, it's 4-0 to me, Ian. Well, it's going well. You went Sheffield 1, Fulham 0. Oh, <laughs> come on, that was close. I went 2-2 and it was 1-1. So that's another point for me. So it's 5-0 at the moment, Ian. 
Where's the West Ham comeback? Where is the West Ham comeback? Come on. I, I, I don't think I think it's more going to be a Spurs United scoreline here. Okay, so then we've got the the West Brom Burnley game. You put two one. Eh, eh. I put one nil. Eh, eh. Nothing for either of us. Manchester City versus Arsenal. I put two one Arsenal. Eh, eh. You put two two. Eh, eh. Oh, so it's five nil at the moment. Then Crystal Palace Brighton. You put three one Brighton. Eh, eh. I put one one. Oh, the three points at the moment is eight nil. It's absolutely whitewashing. Then in the Tottenham West Ham game, you put four two, (laughs) and I put three two. And if you just held on, I would have had eleven points. (laughs) I'm so sorry to disappoint you. And then the Leeds Wolves game, you put two one Leeds. Leeds, didn't I? Yeah. Okay, I got zero. Oh. And I put three free. So, so this week's result, Absolutely. listeners, just just let me just say it again, was eight nil to me, which uh, makes it four one overall. Mate, I don't know. Find me some. I don't know what to say right now. I'm an absolute. That, this is the biggest loss of the week. I can't believe I got two correct results. That's what I was really chuffed about. I couldn't believe it. And let's just compound that, listeners, by saying that Ian also got smashed up by me in the fantasy league again this week, even though he had. I had the same players as him. I still picked up points in other areas. Yeah, what's that? That's a and, and, and this is a special, special shout out. To Mr. O'Shea, Mr. Jake Jones, who handles any social media stuff we do, the promotional images and stuff. If you're listening, Jake, and you fucking better be, son, you captained Lewis Dunk, which is the biggest masterstroke I've ever seen. Because not only did you get minus one point, but because you captained him, you got minus two points. You genius. Absolutely incredible scenes. Uh, that, that is a man who knows football. He knew. Uh, He's a glutton for punishment. He told me, Harley, self-deprecation is my middle name. I like to beat myself down. I saw that and I was like, fuck me, Jake. <laughs> that um, is like the worst possible scenario ever. So, you know, fair play to you, Jake. Love you long time. Okay, so looking forward to the weekend, Ian. Here we go. So this Friday, da, 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 opening the book of destiny, the book of Ian's defeat, as I call it, when he's not around. Sorry, Ian. There's no apology there. No chill. I told you. I said to you last week, give it to me, mate, because when I'm on the up, I will give it to you <laughs> big time. One hundred percent. You can have that accolade. Take it. You can be the Harry Kane. Have the, have the accolades. I'll be the winner. Okay. Accolades. I ain't got no silverware. I know how I live. Exactly. Right. So first game is Villa Leeds. It's got to be Villa, right? It has to be Villa. Two 0 Villa. I'm going to go three one Villa. I think Leeds will score. Next is West Ham Man City. West Ham, tough team to call nowadays. Really tough. What are you saying then? Come on. Draw. No, but the thing is, West Ham always do well against Tottenham because it's a derby and they rise to the occasion. But historically, whenever City have played West Ham, they have absolutely, pun intended, hammered them. I don't know. I'm thinking, I'm going to go 2 1 City. I'm going to go what Spurs should have done 3 0 City. 3 0 City. Yeah, you wish, mate. 
Right, okay, Fulham Crystal Palace, what are you saying? Oh man, I mean, I've been back in Crystal Palace week in, week out, they're absolute trash. They look like they're f- capitulating slightly, not slightly. Massive, I'm, I think 1-0. 1-1. One, one. Yeah. Could be a draw, I could see that. I think it's going to be 2-0 Palace. You're probably right, mate, considering everything I guessed last week. Uh, look, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, the tough game. Manchester United versus Chelsea. Hard to call United's fixtures at the moment now. Yeah. I will go... I reckon we're going to beat Chelsea 3-1. You've got that many goals in you. Yeah. <laughs> Chelsea have got a leaky defence, mate. If Mendy's, if Mendy's still in, injured and it's, it's WD-40 enhanced Petr Cech, then I reckon we could score. Yeah, I'm going to go 2-1, but to Man United. Oh, God. Whenever you back us, we lose. So, fuck you, Ian. Take it back. (laughs) Right, then we've got Liverpool versus Sheffield United. I I don't think this one really matters that um, Van Dijk's injured, to be honest, would be my my opinion. Uh, What, 3-0 Liverpool? 3-0 Liverpool, yeah. I'll go 2-1, because why not? Because I think teams have figured out now that if you press Liverpool, sometimes it can reap a lot of rewards. So, Sheffield, what have they got to lose? And you know what teams, when they start to get to the bottom of that table and they can't escape, you know what they're like. They start to play desperately for positions. And sometimes, they it's early doors, but they need a win so bad. Southampton, Everton. That's a tricky one. Listen, Everton need keep the train to keep on chugging here. They really, really do. What are you saying, man? 3-1 Everton. Big shout. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think the days of huge scorelines are slowly disappearing. We ain't going to get any more 4-3s. So I'm going to go 2-0 Everton. Danny Ings, though. He is lethal. Lethal. But I think Everton are going to be wise to that. We're going to try and shut them out instantly. Could be the case. Now, will there be a Brucey bonus for Wolves, Ian? Yes or no? Yeah. I think Wolves are going to take it. Who have they got? Uh, Newcastle. Ooh. That's what I mean. I think Wolves, I think if, yeah, yeah. if Newcastle don't bounce back, if they go, wow, demoralised, we got spanked, Darlow's injured, they've got to play Sam Elliott in net because the Profka's injured. Yeah. I think there could be a lot of goals there. I think it's a testament that Bruce didn't want to take Darlow off, even though he was injured, how bad potentially their third goalkeeper is. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with Wolves. And with a 1-0. I don't see him doing much. 1-0. I'm going to go 2-0 Wolves. Price is right, you're ass, boy. Now, a game which is hard to call, Arsenal versus Leicester. We didn't really speak about it that much, but Leicester are not on good form. No. They're a bit all over the place. Yeah, they, they smashed City around. Everyone was shooketh, but now everyone's like, well, hang on. You beat City 5-2, and all of a sudden you're losing to Villa. And West Ham. Is it another classic Rogers bottle job? What what are you saying? Well, they're just They're both so average. That's the that's the problem I, at the moment. I really have no idea what's gonna go on. Two all? Two all. That's what my head jumped to. I'm gonna go two one Leicester because I just don't like to back Arsenal at the best of times. Sorry, Arsenal fans, if you're if you're listening. It's just I knew a lot of Arsenal fans growing up and a lot of you were twats. So <laughs> in the nicest way possible. Yeah, I ain't gonna help with that. 
Brighton, the Seagulls need a win. Big time. They're playing well, but this is their problem. They turn up against big sides and then they don't capitalise against small sides that they could be. Brighton, West Brom. Tough. Tough. Could be a draw. I'm feeling it could be a draw 2 2 or something like that, but I'm going to go 2 2. I'm going to go 3 1 West Brom. Wow. The disbelief. Lewis's jaw is on the floor. What? Right. And then, Ian, the last game of the weekend Burnley versus Tottenham. Now, the first 15 minutes of last week, you'd have been like, Tottenham going to beat these guys 7 0. I think you will beat them because they are terrible so far this season. Yeah, I've got, got to stay strong. 2-0 um, Spurs. 2-0 Spurs. Uh, I'll go for one. I think you're going to absolutely pump them for all they're worth. Sean Dice doesn't like to be cucked. That's all I'm saying. All right? He likes to do the cucking and eating worms, apparently. But we don't, none of us really know how true that is. Did you see last season? They actually asked him that in an interview because the rumor had spread so far on social media. They're like, "Do you actually chew worms?" He's like, "No." Obviously, I don't do that. Yeah. Premier League fans are crazy, yeah. right? Well, I am absolutely exhausted after that nearly two hours of talking about football. I know we've always promised to ourselves, Ian, we're going to keep the time down, but there's just so much football to talk about. It never ever. Even cut out the transfers. It would cut out the transfers, but I think because the VAR was so sprawling yeah. this weekend, there was just so much to talk to. Exactly. Team. So this is like a double whammy. That's you got. It's a double bill. It's a compensation. It's the extended cut, as it were. So until next week, thank you so much. Check us out at the Brace Yourselves podcast on Instagram. Catch me on twitch.tv slash sonofrachel. Lots of FIFA content on there going very well at the moment. And until next time, much love and peace. Peace.